lot of times we try to do this and that when God's only graced us for this. And so I'm just encouraging you, if there's a lot of this and that there that you're doing right now, but you feel burnout and spent, God said, I came in John 10, 10, that you have life and life to the full. My question to you, is your life full right now? If your life feels like it's leaking, maybe because you're doing too many things and maybe the fullness of life comes in something that you're graced to do, not something that you just have the opportunity to do. Hey everyone, Shayla here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Leadership Conversations with Nikki Gumbel. Today, Nikki sits down with Pastor Mike Todd of Transformation Church. Mike is enthusiastic. He is a compelling leader and communicator. And he, along with his wife, Natalie, have been the lead pastors of Transformation Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma since February 2015. Under their leadership, Transformation Church is currently reaching literally hundreds of thousands of people in person and online. It is outstanding. And I just loved listening into what these two had to say in their time together. And just for you to look out for, right after their conversation, I chatted with Nikki and asked him a few questions as he reflected upon his time with Mike. And I also got Nikki to share about an exciting service initiative that HTB is doing this Christmas season that we hope really encourages you and inspires you. Okay, without any further introduction, here's Nikki and Mike. I am so happy, and I am happy, because Mike Todd has the best smile in the world. So uh, I'm happy when I see him smiling. But I'm here with Mike Todd. Mike and Natalie Todd are the lead pastors of Transformation Church based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They've been that since February 2015. And um, uh, they were married in 2010. They have three children and uh, a fourth on the way. Mike is a husband, father, author, leader, influencer, pastor and musician. So, uh, Mike, um, uh, like 18 months ago, we were at the leadership conference and you took the place by storm. Man, that was so much fun. We had such a laugh. Your drumming, amazing. Um, and your talk, your interview, everything was just absolutely amazing. Um, and a lot's happened since then. Yes, so, sir. I mean, a lot happened before that. So, I mean, if you go back, like in, um, I've just looked it up in, on the 7th of August, 2017, you gave a talk on relationship goals. Part one, it's well, been viewed 7.7 million times. And then you wrote the book Relationship Goals, which is the number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, and that's happened since the leadership conference. Um, and is it right? You're number 10 in the R&B charts. Yeah, I, listen, man, I don't even know how this happened. <laughs> But um, I'm a music producer first before I ever started pastoring. And uh, I laid it down for almost 10 and a half years um, to really pursue ministry. And I thought it was done forever. And um, at the beginning of this year, in a time of fasting and prayer, I felt like um, I was supposed to, I was impressed by God to start doing music again. And um, I started, I got in my home studio with a couple of my friends and we started making songs around um, me and Natalie's relationship and godly relationship and what what people are struggling with and how they needed to look at it. I basically made a song for myself that I needed uh, 15 years ago. And we released one of the songs called uh, Relationship Goals Revelation. And it went number 10 on Billboard R&B charts. Um, so that's like just below Rihanna. 
it's it just below Rihanna in the weekend <laughs> and Chris Brown and all those people. And and all we're trying to do is say that people need a revelation for their relationship and maybe God knows how to do it. So we're just grateful, Nikki, just grateful. Well, I, it's amazing what you're doing. And I love one of the things you say, you want to put Christ at the center of culture. I believe that's when Jesus walked the earth, that's what he did. He didn't sit in one place and say, come to me. The Great Commission was to go, and he modeled that as our example. He would show up in the middle of culture, in the middle of gatherings, in the middle of where people were, at the sea, the shore, where people were fishing. He would show up at these places, and Christ was literally in the middle of culture. And I think um, because it is um, something that can be perceived as well as um, has been a trap for many people who aren't anchored and have accountability. I think the church has been like, no, let's set up the church culture and tell everybody to come into it. But 2020 has shown us that there has to be different ways to be able to reach people and lead them to the love of Christ. So we're just trying to throw a far net and put Christ in the middle of culture. And where do you think... uh, culture needs that most? Where do you think Christ is kind of most absent in our culture right now? Everywhere. (laughs) Like, I honestly believe in all of the mountains, in education, in the entertainment industry, in government, in all of these areas. I I really believe, I did a series earlier this year um, at Transformation Church called Who's the Minister Here? Hmm. And most people, um, when they look at me and you on a platform and I say, who's the minister here? There would be hundreds, if not thousands of hands that would point at us. But the Bible tells us the pastor's job is to equip the ministers to go out and be effective. And I keep telling people like so many people want to work at a church or be called to a ministry, but that's backwards. You are the minister and you're called to the place that you're already at. So in the IT department, at that elementary school, in that governmental seat, if you would be the minister there and your relationship with God was not a weekend thing, it was an everyday thing, then Christ would be in the middle of culture. And that's why I said, we're the lights of the world. Like, and my, my problem is there's so many believers who ter- turn their light off Monday through Saturday and then turn it on to go to church. And then they turn it back off to go to the soccer game or to whatever. And I just believe that wherever we are, the organism, not the organization, the church is there. And that is putting Christ in the middle of culture. Yeah. So, I mean, Mike, a lot has happened since um, in the 18 months since um, yes, since the leadership conference. I mean, you, you're expecting your fourth child. That's that's. Oh, <laughs> I'll pray for me. Y'all pray for me. Four <laughs> and no more. It's over. It's over right now. And all, all your children are well. Oh, they're I, doing amazing. Yeah. I mean, you've got your oldest has got some some challenges. So it's my my oldest son. So my daughter, Isabella, she's seven. Um, yeah. My son, MJ, he's five and he has autism. And then my daughter, um, Ava, is three and um, she's running our life right now. So we're, <laughs> we're in the middle of um, there's not a dull moment in the Todd household. And we're navigating um, just the challenges of of. Um, special needs children, young children, growing ministry. And um, God's grace is sufficient, man. It's been one of the hardest things and the best things to ever walk through. Um, But we're we're still here. Just talk a little bit more about that. Why has it been the hardest and why has it been the best? Well, I think one of the things that you never um, 
bank on is it happening to you? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Anything like, and so um, when we found out our son MJ um, was diagnosed with autism, he's five and he yeah. doesn't speak complete sentences. We don't know what he wants all the time. So we got to yeah. guess and all of these different things, the sweetest boy in the entire world. Huh. Um, I, I say that it's something that we didn't see coming but yeah. it's something that God equipped us for. Yeah. And that's the one thing about our trials and our tribulations. God trusts us with our trials. And yeah. it's one of those things that you don't, you don't even like, you don't even want to say because you don't think it. But who I am today, who Natalie is today, yeah. because God gifted us with MJ. It's the reason that I believe that God's been able to bless us with so much. And it really doesn't matter that much. Like I would give yeah. anything for my son to be able to develop and prosper. And so it, it gives such a grounding and it's made me and my wife go to God um, like never before. It's made our community gather around us when we're grieving certain milestones or things that are happening or um, his little sister passes him in some type of developmental thing. It makes us just have faith that like, we don't know why this is happening. We don't understand all of the implications, but we know the one that we can lean on and who is our anchor in the middle of it. And um, it just gives us um, the hope to know that God knows what he's doing and, yeah. and we're going to trust him. So we have crazy yeah. faith for a miracle, but we have to live in right now. So we're, um, we're living that we're not exempt. Yeah. Now, another tough thing that's happened since we last met is the killing of George Floyd. Tell yeah. us how, how, you, how you and your church has responded to that. One of the um, most amazing things that I get to do as a lead pastor that, sad to say, many people don't, but you know the benefit of it. I get to lead a multi-ethnic church. Yeah. And um, one of the beautiful things about leading a multi-ethnic church is that um, we get to dialogue from a place of love first. Yeah. So there's already relationship with these people because they're in small groups together or their kids go to children's church together or they go to the same schools or they have birthday parties together. Yeah. And so then when a hard situation comes up that challenges their tradition and their history and their culture and their heritage, it doesn't start offensive first. It starts yeah. with more understanding. And so, um, that rocked us as a church, yeah. as a country, as the yeah. world. It rocked the world. The crazy thing about it is it's not new. Like yeah. it was just it was just videotaped. It was just publicized. Yeah. And so it validated a lot of feelings that um we had you had. experienced that personally yourself? Had you experienced racism? So literally I told the story. I wore a shirt that Sunday because I was so um angry and bothered and hurt that I couldn't speak a message that Sunday. I just talked. Yeah. I sat on the couch. I wore a hoodie that said, your pastor is black. And I just needed everybody to know that this wasn't just entertainment. Like, I'm yeah. not just here to give you some spiritual food, but yeah. like I have a real experience. And I told my church that three weeks later, a property that me and Natalie own that's under renovation right now, um, it has chains and gates So, because um, they're working on it. And so I went by the house to check on the property and the progress. And the car, somebody yells out on the street, get out of there. You're not supposed to be in there. And huh. it's, it's me, my wife, my best friend and his wife. And we're walking in there and I'm in hoodie and like all this other stuff. But they assumed that I was breaking in 
to my property. And two minutes later, the police show up. No. Oh, yeah. Two police officers show up on my property. I don't have any like proof on me that I own this property because it's under construction. And my wife was like, Mike, calm down. Just start talking. Put your hands up. And so I'm like, hey, officers. And he said, can I help you? And in my mind, I'm thinking this man's walking onto my property right now. They're white gentlemen. And he's asking, can he help me? And my natural instinct is, can I help you? Like, that's what I'm going to say. But I know that if I say that, that could end up in me not seeing my kids anymore. That could end up. So um, we just went over to tell him, hey, we're about to leave. I own the property. This is my childhood home and dot, 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 dot. And um, it's those experiences that I'm already um, I'm never given the benefit of the doubt. It yeah. was, I was stealing or I was doing those things. That's my, that's a, a whole group of people's everyday experience. And the beautiful thing that I got to do um, with our church is let people into that experience from somebody who's already added value to their life. Yeah. So they were more inclined to listen. And we had so much healing. I preached the message um, um, about racial reconciliation and how that ministry was given to the church yeah. and how th- the world can't do it, but the church can. And um, we've just seen so much healing, so much understanding, so much conversation, so much growth um, since that tragedy that I really do believe we can't do it for the whole world, but at Transformation Church in Tulsa and the people we um, impact um, there, there are there are changing of the minds that are happening, and people's paradigms are sh- shifting. People are apologizing um, for things that they've said and they've done, as well as building around relationship. and And racism is not just white to black, and I need everybody to understand that there are black people and and Hispanic people that have been racist against white people or against a different ethnicity. And so I just took it from the holistic. Um, um, spectrum sharing from my experience and putting Christ in the middle of culture again. Like what would Christ be doing right now? And um, we've seen a lot of healing happen here in Tulsa from um, our dialogue and conversation. Do you think things have changed? Has this tragedy had any positive effect on the culture? Do you think in... I definitely believe it has. I I definitely believe people are aware that we're asleep to the fact that this was even a problem. I also think that it's awakened some people to, you know, come down on their stance and be more vocal on the other side and be a little more overt and doing things like that. But as far as our church is concerned, I don't know how to, how it impacts the entire world, but I know it impacted our world positively. Um, And I hate that it has to come out of tragedy, but things that have happened, George Floyd's death, and even the many others that are in that same wake and before him and after him. Um, Many people don't know this, but Tulsa, Oklahoma is um, the site of one of the worst race riots in history in 1921 from Black Wall Street. And the things that are happening in our city for racial reconciliation, um, it's really special. And I believe that it's going to be able to change the world one day. I mean, you're in the middle of a series on forgiveness, aren't you? Is that yes. is that related to that or is that just independent of it? I think that God knew what we needed in this season and yeah. did a series um, called FU, um, Forgiveness University. Yeah. And um, I, I really feel that I was raised in church and I know forgiveness is a part of what we're supposed to do. Like, you need yeah. to forgive. 
But yeah. everybody tells us we're, we need to forgive, but they don't teach us how. And yeah. so I spent 10 weeks walking people through forgiveness and why we need to forgive and how to forgive and what happens if we don't forgive. And like, and I really believe this has been one of the most freeing series for myself and for hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, because um, forgiveness is a primary discipline of Christ's followers, but it yeah. seems like it is a optional uh, kind of situation for most of us because it's hard to do, but um, people are getting free from it. Yeah, you said like hundreds of thousands of people and it's like millions uh, watching uh, some of your, and then, then there's a book and all this. How, how are you, because you're a young guy, aren't you? I mean, like for five years you were the, uh, where you were the sound man or something and then, and then the senior pastor. Now you're, you've got these millions of people following you. How, yeah. how, at such a young age, how are you coping with that kind of fame and all that stuff? So the, the big thing that I tell people all the time is I am very aware of my humanity and I know that this is, is something that God is doing. Yeah. This is not my smile or my smarts or my wit. This is a divine work yeah. of God. And I'm aware of that. The other thing that God gave me that makes me so dangerous is my wife. My wife. <laughs> I uh, know your wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, God gave me a wife who really doesn't care about any of this. She cares about me. She cares about me being a man of God. And she cares about our children. Yeah. So She's it, great. She's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And God knew what I needed, not just what I wanted. And so um, when I when I finish this interview, I'm going to pick up a kid from school. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I'm we're very human and we have community yeah. around us that yeah. God has surrounded us with that have the shut up and sit down card in our life. Like <laughs> that, that seriously, because every man we've seen so many people rise and fall and God needs us to be. Um, able to stay in it for longevity. And I know I'm a human and I know that there are things that um, everybody, if Jesus was tempted, who's uh, Nikki and Michael are definitely going to be tempted. But if we have community and we stay close to the things that God has called us to do. And a very practical thing that um, I've done over this season is I've not, I've said no more than I've said yes. Yeah. Like in um, a lot of people in this time, it's the yes time. Like, oh, now you can go here or they want you to do this. And that's when a lot of people start saying yes. And they, they lose the margin to hear from God or to have daily disciplines. And so I've just been saying no a whole bunch. My no well, is Well, we're very grateful you said yes to this. Now, I, I follow you on Instagram. And two days ago, you posted two photos. Really interesting. Uh, you posted one of you sitting outside the church, picture one, sitting outside the church that you've just bought, like this $20 million deal, this massive thing that you, here you are at this position. And then you post a second picture. Just say about that second picture and, so and how that's happened. Okay, so the second picture was, um, I think, almost like eight, nine years ago when um, I w had to turn myself in for car insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I, I say it all the time, like I was a master manipulator, liar, always trying to figure out like how to get out of stuff. And so I had just gotten my car that was out of service. It, it got fixed and I was driving it and I got in a car accident. And so at the moment of the car accident, I 
after the car accident, I didn't have insurance on my car. I tried to get insurance with one of those 1-800-the.com insurance places. So when they started calling, it was like, did you have insurance on the day of the accident? At the time of the accident, I said, yes, I had insurance at on the day of the accident. And I just kept acting like I had insurance and all that other stuff. So it came back to bit me five years later after the actual thing. Wow. They, they literally came in. Now I'm changed. I'm a youth pastor at the time wow. I'm doing all this other stuff. But my actions in that one season had followed me. Now I have something to lose and all that other stuff. And um, I had to end up turning myself in and going in. I only spent like half a day there. I had a Bell's Bondman um, there. I went and got a fresh haircut and wore my suit and the whole nine. And I smiled in my mug shot. But it was the most embarrassing day. Like I got out of jail and went and preached to some youth. Like it was like, but I said in the post that this was one of the best days of my life buying this building. And this was one of the worst days of my life when I, when I had to turn myself in. I said, but God never changed his mind about me. He loved me the exact same. And I just did that because, you know, a lot of times we post about all the great things that God's doing in our lives, but he doesn't change his view about us, his grace, his love, his care for us. And I just felt that there are so many people right now that are in a bad spot or they're on a bad day. And God still sees you the same as he would when you when you get married or when you have that child or when you reach that goal. God doesn't change his mind about you. And I just wanted to speak to God's grace because um, he's been so good to me when I wasn't even good to him, when I wasn't representing him or representing him properly. He's been so good. So I'm just encouraging anybody who's watching this or listening to this. If you're in a place in a season where it's a bad day or you've messed up or you've hurt somebody or you've hurt yourself, God still loves you. He cares about you and his grace won't just save you, but he'll empower you to live a better life. And I'm a living testimony of that. I mean, I, my, I love so many things I love about you, but you know, you've got you've got an amazing gift of of eloquence, of rhetoric, of you know all that. But what makes I think your messages so powerful is your vulnerability, the authenticity, the honesty, and that the way that you posted that uh, was just another way in which which it's 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 very powerful because people can relate to that. We you know we connect. It, People, we often say that we, we, we impress people by our strengths. We connect through our vulnerabilities. Yes, sir. And, and you know, we connect. Your, your preaching is, I mean, I, I listened again this afternoon to your first talk on relationship goals, and it was an absolute masterclass in preaching. I mean, in, in theology, in exposition, in everything. It was just, uh, and, in, and in, of course, your communication skills and the way your language is absolute genius. But I mean, the whole the theology, the the just the the and the and the the, the way you structure it, the way you, it was just it's genius, complete genius. Coming from you, that is the <laughs> biggest compliment I've had in my whole life. Thank no, you. I, you know, I, no, it, it really is. I mean, you, you've got an amazing, amazing gift. But I, I love the fact that you that you're so honest and and um, you know, I think we we aspire. I, you know, I aspire to to try and be more vulnerable. I mean, it's a hard thing to do and you do it. And that's, that is hugely, hugely impressive. The one, thing, the one thing I say to people is that you need to live hot. That's humble, open, and transparent. Yeah. A lot of people will tell the truth, but they won't be transparent. And yeah. let me tell you the difference. Telling the truth is answering the question that's asked to you. So if somebody says, hey, did, did you do this? 
then you're like, yeah, yes or no. But most people don't ask you the questions that you really need to, to, to be asked that you won't. So transparency is just offering it up. Hey, mm. nobody had to know about, I mean, the millions of people that are following us now, nobody knew that I had a, a situation with the law, but I, I'm not going to let you find it out. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use this to give God glory. And I just find that when I live hot, it seems like it humbles me and God is close to the humble. Like, and yeah. I just really encourage people all the time, like honesty and truth, spirit and truth is what God is looking for, not spirit and fake. Like it's spirit and truth. And um, if we can live like that, God gets glory from our lives. Yeah. But I, the other thing about it, of course, is just how fast God turned your life around. I mean, like from that to where you are now, it, like you you only became the pastor in 2015, didn't you? Like the yeah. pastor of the church. So like the last five years, look what's happened in your life. I mean, it is an extraordinary story, really. We found the pace of grace. Like, that's what I tell everybody right now is like, you got to steward over the season you're in. And so many people are so worried about their next that they miss their now. They're yeah. so worried about like, will I get there? And God can literally turn everything around like this if he can trust you with it. Yeah. And I, I, I encourage my um, younger people that follow me is like, don't aspire to be like me, aspire to obey God. My story of obeying God, like when when it didn't make a lot of money, when it didn't make a lot of sense, when it didn't give me connections, is how I got here today. And it was not networking and going to conferences and all of that other stuff. Like I've spoken at every conference that I used to pay to get into. Like, <laughs> like it's all of those things, but it wasn't because I was trying to do that. It was because... I, I have this um, revelation that's changed my life, Nikki, that Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy ever spoken about him. He did it in three years, not yeah. 33 years. He did it in three years yeah. and you never hear him. Um, you never hear about him running to his next appointment. He didn't yeah. have this hustle grind, like, like get it mentality. He was walking everywhere. He yeah. walked everywhere. If I was the son of God, I would at least ride a horse or a dog <laughs> or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but he was walking everywhere because he had to go at the pace he was graced for. And when you go at the pace you're graced for, you get to see miracles. People get to go with you. If he would have done something else, he wouldn't have been able to disciple the people. He wouldn't have been able to touch those people. And it really spoke to me when, when Jesus went to the cross and said, it is finished. He had finished his purpose walking, striving, yeah. going at the pace of grace. And we're yeah. trying to finish our purpose, running, out of breath, tired, making poor decisions, all of these different things. Yeah. And I just believe if we're to follow Jesus, it takes us trusting. It takes as much faith to go as it takes to stay. It yeah. takes as much faith to run as it takes to walk. And I believe that the reason God has done some amazing things is because I've gone at a pace that he can still speak to me that I can yeah. still listen and obey. And so, yeah, stride. Don't strive for it. Don't, don't S-T-R-I-V-E. Don't strive. Use all your effort and energy, but strive. Walk in long, decisive steps in the intentional direction that God sets for you. And more than anything, God will be the one to get the glory out of your life.
Yeah. So just say a bit more about that because you you often use this expression, the pace of grace. Yeah. So what is, in practice, what does that mean for your life? Because you've got a, you know you're 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 all these things. Your father, you've got four, three children, fourth one on the way. You've yeah, got yeah. A, a big church. You've got a huge ministry. You've got your music. You've got all writing. You've got talks to give every. How how do you put uh, time into your? How do you, yeah. how do you do that? So practically, you only can do what God tells you to do and nothing else. So one of the practical ways that I've done that is a couple years ago um, when I came to HTB, um, that was one of six engagements I did that entire year. Hmm. Okay, One of six. Now, we had over 300 speaking, 3,000, excuse me, speaking engagement requests that year. We were honored, Mike. You came. You tried to... Three thousand. We I, came I, in. We got one of those six. I'm not saying that to say. No, I, I. No, I feel it. I. I believe it, and I'm. We are very honoured that you came. But I, what I'm saying is, I had to make a decision. Yeah. That for me to do the things I'm graced to do, I cannot do the things that are just cool to do. Yeah. And a lot of us, we are more enamored by opportunity rather than assignment. And yeah. so what ends up happening a lot of times for me is I love to go. I'm an extrovert. I'll be in London, then I'll go to Africa, then I'll come back to Atlanta and I'll do, that's how I'm naturally wired. And God yeah. said, anything you make up outside of me, you have to sustain outside of me. And that's where people don't know the pace of grace. So when I look at things that are draining me, that are tiring me, I ask myself, did God send this? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Or is this something I picked up? Is this something that I wanted to do that was just fun? Is this something that I uh, I didn't want to um, not please them, so I did it extra? And really in this season, it's about intentionality and focus. And as I got intentional and focused, like this year, I'm only doing like four speaking engagements all 2021. Not, not because of any other reason, except I do have a fourth kid on the way. Yeah. God has blessed me to, to have to lead a large church. And a lot of times we try to do this and that when God's only graced us for this. And mm. so I'm just encouraging you, if there's a lot of this and that and that and this and, and there that you're doing right now, but you feel burnout and spent, God said, I came in John 10, 10, that you have life and life to the full. My mm. question to you, is your life full right now? If your life feels like it's leaking, it may be because you're doing too many things and maybe the fullness of life comes in something that you're graced to do, not something that you just have the opportunity to do. So that's practical. So good. Can I just ask you quickly about your sabbatical? Yeah, easy. Just tell us about your sabbatical. So one of the things that I do every year is I take at least 30 days um, away from church, business, and um, everything that has to do with the church. And um, I really do believe that um, Jesus set a model for us to work um, for a certain amount of time and then to withdraw. He could have made the entire universe and everything in it in six days and it was over, but he did seven because he was trying to set a pattern for us that our culture has literally killed. And most people don't Sabbath weekly. I Sabbath weekly as well as... um, there's a time in the year that I take off and literally because of the pace of everything these past couple of years, I've taken like a month and a half, two months off. Um, and it's the greatest thing that I ever do because it number one makes me no matter how successful it seems like we are in that year, it makes me have to trust God again with his church. It's not mm. Michael's church. 
It's not my preaching. This is his church, his work that he sustains. And I'm a human. So there's times where it'd be like, oh, that was the best sermon series and da, da, da. And the crazy thing is the church be growing and I'm gone. Like, and I was like, oh, it wasn't me. huh? Like, it's just a humble pie and it's a trust and it's a sustaining. The second thing it does is it grows the team. Like the people that God has around me, this ministry and what God's called us to do is not built on the personality of one person. It's built on the sacrifice of so many people and the team gets to flourish. And we have times where um, some of our um, other team members preach and there's all kinds of things that happen and our team grows. The third thing is my family knows that they are the priority and my children, we do four weeks where the first week me and Natalie go on vacation to somewhere tropical. We'd be somewhere with some beaches and some palm trees and some flamingos. And we just connect, just being able to invest in that relationship. We do it weekly. We go on date night every Tuesday night, but then every um, time we go on that vacation. The second week we come back and we do what we call as PK vacay. And we take our kids every day we plan something for five or six days, whether it's an amusement park one day, the zoo the next day, painting t-shirts the next day. And we do stuff with them because the one thing that I never want to do is give so much to the church and to the world. And then my children feel neglected. And um, these are moments and monuments every year. Like I design t-shirts for it and I do all of this other stuff and they're young now, but we're going to continue to do this for their entire life. So they know like mom and dad set everything aside for us. And uh, then the third week I come home and put up the pictures I haven't put up in a long time, sweep stuff and do all the honeydew stuff. And then the fourth week I go um, by myself to a remote location that only my wife and my assistant know where I'm at. And I just pray and seek God for vision for what's to come next. And the crazy thing about that, every time I take that, that time, God give me revelation, relationship goals came out of sabbatical. That was wow. my first message out of sabbatical. Crazy faith was my first message out of sabbatical. Planet not buried was my first message out of sabbatical. And so the wisdom revelation and the rejuvenation that I have to do what God's called me to do after I break is like, yeah, I'll be taking this break forever. And um, it's one of those things that I encourage our church to do. Like I tell our church and most pastors probably are scared to do this, but I was like, listen, I want y'all to take two weekends a a year away from church like even the most faithful ones like like don't take relationship away from god but don't come here but i said but don't be um unintentional with it go do something take your whole family to breakfast y'all go on a vacation or you do it like because i want people in this day and age where it's so hustle we got to get to the next people have more money but they have less intimacy they have bigger houses but they don't have a home like and i really do believe that god wants us to take a break to withdraw and to really do what matters and so um i encourage every pastor every leader and i know it's scary because people are like i can't do that i started doing it from the first year of my ministry and i was freaked out Because I thought by the time I came back after being a pastor for six months, they would have put a new pastor in place and they would have thrown all my stuff outside. And it made people really respect me and God be able to trust me with more. So I'm encouraging everybody weekly sabbatical and yearly take some time to really be able to reset and let God give you new direction. So good. So good. Now, another thing you say, uh, which I love is uh, vision is what you see with your eyes closed. Yeah, uh, that's a great that's a great line. So just t- what 
So what do you see with your eyes closed? What's the vision that you have? So, so one of the things that I, I believe is people function off a of sight. So who do I know that can help me do this? Who's going to, who's, um, what's around that I can be able to maximize? And God never works on sight. He works on vision. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. And so many times I find myself closing my eyes and just asking God to show me, show me like what, what can happen. Show me possibilities, even if it's not the exact thing, like dreaming outside of me. I heard somebody once say, if your vision um, is, is not uh, big enough that it scares you, it's not God's size. It's not like it's, it's something that you can do with just discipline and patience and execution. And the things that I'm dreaming of right now, um, Nikki, the things that God's showing me right now is scary. Like it's, it's scary because what God's given us in such a short amount of time as we steward over it, it allows him to be able to trust us with more. And so one of the things that before COVID started, um, I'll tell you one of the things that we are trying to become as Transformation Church, a production house that happens to have a church. Hmm. Like, I really do believe that the medium of uh, video and audio um, is going to be the main means of reaching people for Jesus Christ in the next decade. Hmm. And, um, and so instead of building physical locations before COVID started, you can see it on our vision board and stuff like that. The whole thing for this next two to three years was to become a digital media powerhouse that continues to put out content that point people to Jesus representing God in all spheres. And um, that's what we're working on right now. Like when I close my eyes, there's an entire wing of this huge church that I have already marked off. People trying to have offices and do all that stuff. It's going to be a complete TV studio, a complete area for um, music studios, podcasts, everything state of the art. Um, for us to be able to do. We just put a, a large investment into our arena so this can be one of the state-of-the-art places to come record audio and video. Like, I really believe this is going to be um, the way to go. But through technology, now I can go everywhere. Right now, I'm in London with you yeah. and yeah. in Tulsa. And yeah. right now, as we do this, I'm preaching in different countries through messages I spoke weeks ago, months ago, and last Sunday. Like, yeah. it's happening. People are getting saved. I wish I would have had a picture of it. We have a ticker, like a little ticker in our um, main office of every time somebody fills out a salvation card. It moves every hour of the day, every day. Huh. That people are giving their lives to Christ. And I'm able to be at home with my wife snuggling, watching a movie. Like, <laughs> And, and so I really do believe when I close my eyes, I see the church, not just our church, but the capital C church leveraging technology, not treating it as a side thing, but treating it as a sophisticated tool to allow the spirit of God to penetrate people's everyday lives, whether on the treadmill, whether they're in a taxi, whether they're in um, a boardroom or whether they're in a park, that the tangible presence of God can meet them right there. And while everything else is going on around them, they can be having a full on spiritual experience with God and feeling his love and being convicted and changing their minds and transforming 
in that moment. And I believe technology is that tool. So we're doubling down on it. We're, I mean, we're putting a lot of resources, effort and energy um, on personnel and equipment and thought to really um, in the next two to three years, be able to be a place that people can go to church and have supportive content and feedback, connection, community at any moment during the day. And what do you think the impact of COVID has been in terms of all of that? Has it, has it accelerated all that in, in terms in your mind? And what's, what's going to be different coming out of, how's the church going to be different coming out of COVID than it was before? So for many people, uh, COVID is um, something that is what I call an exposure. Like it exposed a lot. Like yeah. it pulled the cover off of a lot of stuff, specifically yeah. um, in every sphere, but specifically in the church. And so yeah. I believe COVID killed many churches, even if they're still open right now. It's sad, but many churches will not survive um, this shift. I think it accelerated many churches as well. It made people that thought this was maybe five to 10 years away really um, put thought, prayer, and emphasis on um, communicating with people in technology. And then it woke a lot of people up that were kind of on the fringes, like, ah, I don't want to do that. And I think the um, impact of it will be tremendous. I really do believe on the church that there's not been this level of innovation, outside thinking, reevaluating that has happened in the church in the past probably 50 years. Like for real, like everybody having to go back to the drawing board and ask themselves, what is sacred? What can we not change? What has just been tradition? What have we just been doing? And what is preference? What do we just like to do? And me and my staff, we ask ourselves those three questions every year. What is sacred? We'll never change that. We gotta do those things because that's sacred. But what is tradition? What are the things that we've just done, but maybe there can be some change to it or we can get rid of them all together. And then what is preference? Like, what is like, we just like doing that. And being able to evaluate all of those things, I really do believe makes us being nimble to be able to affect the generation who in large part is not coming to the church for answers right now. And we're gonna have to go into all the world and show them this love, this Jesus, this transformation power that can change everything. And um, I think the church, I think the church is gonna be stronger than ever. Like I honestly do. Oh, brilliant, Mike. Thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. Hugely honored to have you today. And um, And this was fun. Nikki, that was a tremendous interview with Mike Todd, wow, he is remarkable. I'd love to know what are your reflections after this interview? Oh, I'm going to take life a lot easier. I'm going to slow down my pace. Go, say no to every invitation. Uh, no, I think it's brilliant. He's, I think he's amazing. I think he's absolutely extraordinary. There's a real anointing on him. And, um, and every answer he gave was a phenomenal answer. Uh, I think he's a really interesting Um, person and extremely uh, gifted. I really loved when he talked about the pace of grace. And I would love to know about what your takeaways are from that, from his sabbatical rhythms to how he's chosen to prioritize family, etc. What are your takeaways? Well, I I totally agree with um, his, his, all the principles. um, And, um, uh, so what do I do? I, uh, in a sense, I guess we do take a sabbatical every year. We take 
four or five weeks off in the summer. And that is really uh, um, key for us in recharging the batteries and getting perspective and getting um, new ideas and doing lots of reading and so on. So I think that's uh, of the three things that Rick Warren talks about. Abandon annually. Uh, that's something we try to do. Then withdraw weekly, which is what he talks about, Sabbath. And diverting daily, which um, is taking time off each day. And I, uh, that's been a bit more of a challenge in COVID. But in but pre-COVID, I used to play squash every afternoon or go to the gym, get away, see a totally different group of friends and so on. It's a bit more complicated now. But I, I still try and uh, divert daily and take a day off. Um, and um, take do the summer, have a sort of um, uh, what he would call a sabbatical. Um, I mean, I, we just talk about it as a summer holiday, uh, which is for now four and sometimes even closer to five weeks off. Uh, but I think um, uh, it will encourage us that we shouldn't feel guilty about taking that amount of time off. That that's a that's actually a good thing to do, and uh, you come back refreshed and more able to to do the stuff that you do. So, um, yeah, it was very interesting. Mike talks a lot about the opportunities that Transformation Church has, and I know that HTB this year has had incredible opportunities. You're having to choose between all of them. And this year you really pushed into love your neighbor. And now you've got this love Christmas campaign in the UK. Can you tell us about that and why it's such a priority for you? Well, there are, um, there's a huge need in the UK. You know, there, there are uh, probably millions of people who are without food at this time. Um, and, uh, the government doesn't have the infrastructure to reach all those people, but there's only one group that has the infrastructure, and that's the church. And there's a church in every village, town, right across every city. There are more churches than there are pubs, uh, and there is an unbelievable uh, network of churches and volunteers, probably millions of volunteers, and uh, Already, you know, if you, the Church of England alone runs 8,000 food banks and 2,400 night shelters. But by working together with churches across the denomination, so we're working with Catholics, uh, Church of England, Pentecostal, Black Majority Churches, uh, Coptic Orthodox, Baptist, um, Methodist, every church is right across all the different parts of the uh, of the UK, and uh, the aim is to get food and help uh, to the isolated, medicines and so on. Um, and part of that is Love Christmas, where the aim of Love Christmas is to get a million boxes of hope to the most vulnerable in society: the isolated elderly, families who wouldn't have toys this Christmas, uh, to families of prisoners, to refugees and to the homeless. Uh, we're packing boxes with gloves and socks and hats for the homeless um, and so on. So uh, the, the aim is that Jesus said, let your, your light shine, that people may see your good 
deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this time we're trying to let people know what the church is doing because before the pandemic, the National Health Service, the only stories were about waiting lists and operations that had gone wrong. Now everyone applauds the National Health Service because they realise the vital part they played. And our hope and prayer is as a result of what people seeing what the churches are doing that uh, at the end of this, people will recognise that that uh, this is they'll see that what the church is doing and glorify God because God hasn't had very much glory in the UK uh, during the pandemic, and this is um, an opportunity for people to to hear that the church is there for them, and the church is desperately needed. People need community, they need love, they need help, they need support, and our message is. We love you. We uh, come, come and come and be involved. Come on Alpha. Come and come to church. Come and come and meet people. Come and get your needs met. Come and enjoy all the good things that God has for you. And by working together in unity across the UK, working with the government who are helping us, so uh, they've given us uh, four million pounds in match funding to help with with it. Uh, working with. Um, one of the world's leading PR agencies have given their time voluntarily free to support us to get the message out to, across the uh, media. Um, and uh, we're working with all people of goodwill to, um, to meet the needs that are out there and to bring people hope and love and joy, especially at Christmas. Well, this has been a great interview between you and Mike and then your reflections on the opportunities we all have as the church around the world in this Advent season is remarkable. So, Nikki, thank you again. And a huge thank you to Mike Todd for joining us from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, we're excited to let you know that right before Christmas, we'll be sharing Nikki's conversation with Pastor Craig Rochelle. To all you leaders tuning in, Craig likely needs no introduction. He and his wife, Amy, started Life Church in a two-car garage in Oklahoma in 1996. And today, Life Church is one of the most influential churches in the world. I'm looking forward to hearing two great Christian leaders and friends who go back and forth on this podcast. Now, I want to say a big thank you for tuning in today. Please give a like, review, or share if you enjoyed this conversation or any before it. We'd really love for this podcast to be in the ears of leaders who need it most today. Well, that's all I have for you. We hope you're able to tune in for Nikki's conversation with Craig Rochelle on December 20th. We'll see you soon.